Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I'm joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey, spooksters. Today is my true crime episode for the month. As you guys have noticed, Tara and I have been flip-flopping because we are mass recording because Tara is in the process of moving. I don't know where this is in the month and like physically where you are in the moment. Oh, let me look at the calendar. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is going live on the 16th of January. So maybe in Oklahoma? I don't know. <laughs> kind of just we don't know. Depends. I'm somewhere in the lower 48. So there yes. is that because, yes. you know, I, I don't know how long we're we're staying in California. I think we're only going to stay like a day or two and then be like, cut across. Right. So, yeah. So because of that, we were flopping back and forth so that we could mass record because it takes a lot to do a two person episode. There's a lot of coordination. Yeah. And this is just easier. Mm hmm. With that, if you want to hang out with us on social media, you can do so by heading over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our handle is at Three Spooked Girls. We also have a wonderful Facebook group that you guys can interact with in real time. Tara messaged me yesterday and we just hit over 3K, which is fantastic. Woo! So that means that like 3,000 of you are in this group interacting or watching mm -hmm. people interact because that's what I do in groups. <laughs> I feel. Mm. Also, we have a Facebook group for our Spookster shop. In real time, today I launched a new, because it's still December in real time. For mm -hmm. me, I just launched our 2023 book tracker. You can still get them. They will be up all year. It's going to be there. Hell yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's fun. It's a little witchy tracker for you so that you can, you know. I love it. Keep track of the books you read. Yes. You know, old school style on paper. Oh, I mean, you know what, though? Like, it's also I feel digital. like paper stuff is coming back because mm. I've definitely seen an uptick in people buying like reading journals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then look, if you like to do that, then Jessica already made it for you. You just got to print it. <laughs> like, mm. does it or, or not. If you don't want to print, if you like paperless, if you like digital. So right. she already did all the work for you. <laughs> I did. So, yeah, it's a fun little tracker. I know we have our like our reading club or a book club each month mm -hmm. so you can keep track there as well as because you know this like december january is like you're figuring out like how many books you want to read in a year i realized that this year on goodreads i didn't actually like put my goals for mm -hmm. 2022 mm -hmm. 
So yeah. back last year. Yeah. So when everyone in the the group was like sharing, they're like, this is what I read. I was like, I'm going to go get mine. And then I was like, I didn't do Never it. Mind. And then I just kind of felt like I didn't want to do it. But at that point, I was like, mm. next time. No. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I'll just start 2023. And I wasn't able to at that moment. So it's all good. Makes me sound, but it's okay. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls or in the show notes, there's a link to go over there. For little as a dollar, you get a bonus episode each month. Five and up, get video content. We brought back slaughters. We brought back haunted grounds. So if you want to have all the goodies, go over there and check it out. Uh, In real time, I just finished our 2023 virtual swag. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So it's all good stuff. Good stuff coming your way. Mm-hmm. If you are on the TikTok, you can follow Tara. Mine is in the process of being revamped. So I'm not even going to talk about mine. We're just going to talk about Tara's. Her <laughs> handle's at spooky underscore sleuth. She does a lot of fun content. Mm-hmm. You should check it out. She does true crime. She does, she does a lot of stuff. You should check yeah. it out because it's good stuff. It's good stuff. All good stuff. Yeah. And people requested moving stuff. And I'm like, I'm not a lifestyle content person, but sure. <laughs> I mean, it is a big move, so I get it. But I'm just like, okay, (laughs) take my mediocre vlogs then. You're welcome. (laughs) Every time Tara and I hang out, we're like, we're going to vlog. We never do. Mm -mm. Because that's a lot of energy. I know. And it was funny because like, I got asked if I'm going to make like a playlist for like, oh, because if you're not in the group, I got engaged in real time over the holiday weekend. But like people are like, are you going to post wedding content? And I'm like, no, I wasn't gonna. <laughs> Do you want it? Like, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't even, that did not even cross my fucking mind. But yeah, so yay, big exciting news. I know I don't probably sound the most enthused right now, but I'm just like fucking tired, but very excited. And thank you guys for the love that are in the group and on every, all the other places Jessica mentioned earlier. I appreciate you guys very, very much. I knew before all of you, so meh. Oh, well, yeah, duh, that'd be kind of <laughs> fucked up. If I was like, Jessica, you find out on Facebook with everybody. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, that would have been, it would have been funny because like, I don't know, I because I've been sick, there would have been this moment of like me looking at it being like, <laughs> did she fucking text me? <laughs> and just so that you guys know, Tara and I don't like, regular text each other no. we snapchat each yeah, other because we're, we're weird and we don't know why yeah and so i would have wouldn't have been able to go back and look i'd have been like was i high on meds <laughs> what was happening <laughs> what was happening oh god. No, tara told me and then i, yes. I was in the middle of like dinner and so i was mm-hmm. yay <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't know what else to do but anyway so today I'm going to do, since 2023 ha- or 2023 has begun and 2022 has come to a close officially for you mm-hmm. guys, I am doing 13 true crime cases that were solved in 2022. Mm-hmm. Please understand that I am still sick. And so if I sound a little congested, I can't help it. It's I'm okay. Trying. It's okay. Okay. So this is, there are 13 cases. Let's go to the first one. And it's a little weird because we'll post the article. It's weird because they don't actually like label like, you know how most of them are like number one or have some sort of giant ass header. The header is the same size font. It's just bolded. Okay. Mm -hmm. DNA from under the fingernails led to the arrest of a Las Vegas murderer after 42 years. I love these ones. I love these ones when the DNA is like 
decades and decades later. It makes me so happy. Okay. The case of who murdered 25-year-old Sandra DeFlalis went cold over four decades until her daughter urged the police to take the case. She was raped, beaten, and stabbed and strangled in her Las Vegas apartment that she shared with a roommate at the time. And it was said that she was a native of Idaho and she was working at a restaurant, like as a waitress in a restaurant at the time of her death. On October 31st, 2022, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department held a press conference and announced they arrested Paul Nuttall on October 27th on suspicion of brutal rape and murder. He had remained in the Las Vegas area after the killing and still lived there. The Las Vegas Review Journal revealed that Paul had at least three previous arrests on charges of felony and misdemeanor drug possessions in Las Vegas, and he had no prior charges of violence in Clark County. That's crazy. But they got, they got it because of the DNA under her nails. Mm. And they did it using, like, you know, the new testing technology we have out there. I love it. The next story is Arizona police ID Little Miss Nobody found in the desert in 1960. Can we please talk about that name? Yeah. That's super I know. fucked up. Right? More than six decades after the body of a child was found in the Arizona desert, police confirmed her identity through forensic genealogy. Am I going to be sad? The authorities were summoned to a horrifying scene outside of Congress, Arizona on July 31st, 1960 and had few clues that identified the child lying dead under the hot sun. She had brown hair and fingernails that were painted red. She hadn't had any obvious injuries. Her partially buried body had footprints around it, and the police found a pocket knife nearby. There were a pair of men's flip-flops with the child's body. Mm. That's weird. Oh, and they were cut down to her size. Oh. She had been found by a teacher in from Las Vegas, who was visiting with their family in in the desert. It's weird that those are connected. The little girl turned out to be four-year-old Shannon Lee Gallegas, who was abducted from her grandmother's home. Sharon had been playing outside of her grandmother's house when she reportedly was forced into a dark green sedan on July 21st, 1960. According to Arizona Central, the car was occupied by a man and a woman and a boy with freckles. They seem to know a lot about this little girl and the abduction. Right. There had been a woman asking about Sharon around the neighborhood and at church. Police in Arizona had heard about the missing little girl in New Mexico, but they reportedly believed that the Jane Doe, nicknamed Little Miss Nobody, was seven years old, not four. Because of the assumed age discrepancy, investigators at first dismissed the idea that Little Miss Nobody was Sharon, especially given the 400-mile distance between the two cities. When nobody came forward to claim the body of the child, locals pooled their money uh, to give her a proper burial in the Prescott, Arizona Cemetery. Seventy people attended the funeral, and the stone marker was, they put this on her tombstone, Little Miss Nobody. I'd be so fucking mad. I'm, yeah. Her family, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, they know who it is now, but like the family. Oh, for fucking sure. The case grew cold. And though it was periodically re-examined throughout the years to see if they could link it to the Sharon case. In 2018, a sheriff's department released a sketch of Little Miss Nobody that may have looked prior to her death. The sketch was based on a DNA profile obtained from exhuming the body and conducting DNA testing at the University of North Texas Center for Human Identification. 
With a DNA profile, Sharon's surviving family were able to submit their DNA for comparison, but the 2018 technology still wasn't advanced enough to link. Uh, I say no, because in 2018, we caught the Golden State Killer. Yeah. Why don't they have the same technology in Texas? Right. That makes no sense. Yeah, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. But in February of this year, they positively identified the Little Miss Nobody as Sharon. That's sad. That is super sad. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next story is a man sentenced for beating college student to death with a piano leg. On September 20th, 2004, Rebecca Good, 22, answered the door to a man who asked to use her phone. A week later, her body was found dumped on the side of the road. Her case went cold for over a decade and a half. On October 18th, 2022, a man from Oregon named William Miller pled guilty to the 2004 murder of Rebecca Gould. He waived his rights to a jury and Judge Tim Weaver sentenced him to 40 years in the Arkansas Department of Corrections. On September 20th, 2004, Rebecca, a 22-year-old college student, answered the door to her boyfriend's home where she was staying, and Miller was standing outside. He asked to use her telephone, and the kind-hearted young woman agreed. Miller confessed that while he was pretending to use the phone, Rebecca went into her room. He used that time to grab a piano leg from the living room and then beat her to death with it. Then he placed her body in the bed of the bed of his truck and dumped it on the side of the road in Melbourne, Arkansas. This case went cold for over a decade and a half. However, Miller was eventually established as a suspect. Police tracked down Miller in Oregon and extradited him to Arkansas to face murder charges. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's so long. Oh, okay. 30 years later, tech CEO charged with 1992 cold case murder of roommate's girlfriend. Advances in DNA technology led to the July 2022 arrest of Ken Woodward for the murder of 25-year-old Laura Holtz. Thanks to advances in DNA technology, additional evidence, and the dedication of the cold case investigators, John Kevin Woodward, the president and CEO of a California-based company, ReadyTech, has been charged with the brutal 1992 murder of Lori Holtz. At the time of her death, she was the girlfriend of Woodward's roommate. The Santa Clara District Attorney Office released a statement on July 11, 2022, announcing that Woodward, 58, was arrested when he arrived at JFK in New York City. He was flying in from Amsterdam, where he now lives. Oh, so they had to, like, fucking wait for him to, like, be stateside. That's a lot. That's a that's a lot of yeah. like coordination. Still an American citizen, he was arranged in Santa Clara County in California where the murder took place. Lori Holtz was only 25 when she was murdered. Her body was found in her vehicle by a passerby on September 5th, 1992. It was parked on the 1300 block of Crittenden Lane in Mountain View, California. The rope that was apparently used to kill her was still around her neck. In addition to other signs of strangulation, her footprints were found on the interior windshield, showing she had tried to fight for her life. Her undisturbed purse was found nearby. An investigation soon revealed Woodward as a prime suspect. As he was known to be jealous of Lori, which, why are you jealous? Oh, and his unrequited romantic attachment to her, despite the fact that she was his roommate's girlfriend. Lori's boyfriend asked Woodward if he killed her while police listened to the conversation, and Woodward responded by asking what investigators knew. At the time, Woodward's fingerprints were found outside the car, but police could not show evidence to prove that he was inside the car at the time. 
And probably they, like, if you think about it, how many fingerprints do you think are on the outside of your car that don't belong to you? So many. Right. Because like people like walk by, they might slip, especially like where you live currently, like (laughs) someone might study Hmm. themselves. (laughs) Yeah. And even if they were found inside, there's no way to prove that they were there when he put them. Mm -hmm. It'd be like if they found her fingerprints in their house because, you know, she was there. Okay. So police detectives started to re-examine Lori's case in late 2020. They re-examined and resubmitted evidence from the investigation to the Santa Clara County Crime Lab for renewed analysis. Evidence soon came back that matched Woodward's DNA, and over 80 fingerprints were taken back in 1992 were re-examined, which revealed that even more fingerprints belonging to Woodward were found at the scene of the murder. That's crazy. He's a bad man. <laughs> a Massachusetts college student in 1986 cold case murder was solved after 36 years. That doesn't sound right, because I'm 36. That's not right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. 20-year-old Claire Gravel spent the night of June 29, 1986 with a friend at a pub. After she was dropped off at her Salem apartment early the next morning, she was never seen alive again. Hmm. And her case would remain cold until August of 20 or August 24th, 2022, when the district attorney announced that they had charged somebody for her murder. John Carey, a 63-year-old man who currently was serving time in prison for an attempted murder sentence. Officers had been following a lead for over 10 years based on physical evidence recovered from Claire's clothing. And because of new forensic technology, they were able to determine that it was John Carey. I'm so glad technology. One of the things I think is great about these like cases getting solved is that cops are going back and doing the old ones. Right. DNA from a coffee cup solves a 1975 cold case murder of 19-year-old Cindy Lou Belchler. In July of 2022, one of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania's oldest cold cases was solved when David Samporli, 68, was arrested for the brutal murder of Cindy Belchler. She was only 19 at the time, and she was found stabbed to death in her apartment on December 5th, 1975. She had been sexually assaulted before being stabbed 19 times in her chest, back, and neck. Mm. I know. Mm. The young woman had defensive wounds, showing she fought hard for her life. The knife was still in her neck when they found her. Poor thing, Jesus. Right. The detectives would end up interviewing as many as 300 people consulted crime experts, and launched a task force. However, the crime went unsolved for nearly five decades. On July 18th, 2022, Lancaster County District Attorney Heather Adams announced that a suspect had finally been arrested in Lindy's brutal murder. David Simpoli of East Hempfield Township, Pennsylvania, was charged with criminal homicide. Using DNA evidence collected from the crime scene, genetic genealogists determined that Lindy's murderer likely had ancestors from Jasperini, Jasperina, a small town in Italy. Very specific. It was said that David lived in the same four-unit building as Lindy, and no other connections between him and her were found. So this must have just been like a crime of opportunity. Yeah. An anonymous letter sent to the cops led to the arrest of a woman accused of murdering her boyfriend in 1996. Oh, wow. At the time, 22-year-old Jade Benning claimed a man had forced his way into her apartment and fatally stabbed Christopher Harvey. 
Investigators in California identified and arrested this suspect in a cold case of a man after receiving an anonymous letter nearly three decades after the slaying. Around 3 a.m. on January 4, 1996, Jade Benning, then 22, claimed to officers that a black man forced his way into their Santa Ana apartment she shared with her boyfriend, Christopher Harvey, also 22. The intruder and Harvey scuffled, she said, claiming that the man stabbed her boyfriend multiple times and then fled the residence. Christopher would later die of his injuries. At the time, witnesses told detectives that they heard a loud argument coming from inside the couple's apartment for about 15 minutes, and Benning made a general statement about that to the investigators. Despite leads about the supposed intruder and the argument, the case eventually went cold. In January of 2020, however, an anonymous letter was sent to the Santa Ana Police Department implementing Jade for Christopher's murder and breathed new life into the investigation. According to the police, a detective conducted extensive new interviews and consulted with forensic experts about the case. On the afternoon of May, agents from the U.S. Marshal's Lone Star Fugitive Task Force took Jade, now 48, into custody near her home in Austin, Texas, where she had relocated after living for years in Las Vegas, Nevada. She's expected to be extradited back to California to face charges in connection to her former boyfriend's death. Jeez, lady. I somehow, like, remember this story. Oh, really? I don't know why I remember this story, but I remember, like, maybe it's this. I remember his face. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of do, too, actually. Or he might just look like somebody. That, too. He could look like some. But I kind of remember that face. DNA helped solve cold case of murder of a woman found wrapped in a carpet on the side of the road. This is why we think that anytime we see trash on the side of the road, it's a body. Mm-hmm. The body of Lena Gindis, 37, was found alongside a highway near Maidenwater Springs in Utah's Garfield County on April 20th, 1998. Her murder remained unsolved until June of 2022. We all know what year it is. I don't know why I keep saying. That's okay. <laughs> Habit. In June of this year, DNA determined that her husband, Edward, was responsible for her murder. He died by suicide in 2001, around three years after he killed her. Mm. Investigators were able to extract DNA from the ropes that had bound Linda by utilizing a specialized vacuum. Ooh, I wonder if it's that one that we saw when we were like, you know, on that episode of Forensic Files 2. Mm-hmm. You know, where they pulled the shit out. Mm-hmm. Because these advances in DNA testing allowed investigators to compare and match the killer's identity with the DNA of the two living family members, the cold case murder was solved. Edward murdered his wife by shooting her in the head, and then he wrapped her in a plastic bag and duct tape, bound the body with rope, and then put her in a sleeping bag, which he rolled up in carpet. That is so much to conceal a body. Yeah. Edward then cut off the ends of her thumbs and fingers at a right angle to seemingly remove the fingerprints and make it harder to identify her. Wow. Hmm. I don't say this about a lot of people, but I'm kind of glad he committed suicide. Because, like, Jesus, you should not do shit like that to people. Okay, next one. The truck driver charged in a nearly 30-year-old cold case of a California mother. The body of Sherry Huria, 30, was found along a California highway on-ramp on March 30th, 1993, nearly 30 years after a suspect had been charged in her murder. On June 10th, Douglas Thomas, 67-year-old retired truck driver from Texas, was arrested in Riverside, California after DNA and other evidence linked him to the 1993 murder of Sherry. Thomas is accused of killing the 30-year-old mother of four 
And in addition to murder, he's also charged with special circumstances alleging to the killing occurred during the commission of a rape. Oh, God, so terrifying. Back on March 30th, 1993, Sherry's body was found alongside a freeway on-ramp on Interstate 10 and near the Desert Center area of California. She was from Tallulah County, so how her body ended up alongside the desert around 350 miles away near a halfway point between Palm Spring and the Arizona state line remains a mystery. Sherry was last seen alive a few days before her body was found. Riverside County District Attorney Mike Histrin said the case was investigated but went cold because there was no suspects. It remained a cold case for nearly three decades. The next story is a man convicted of a 1993 cold case murder of a woman stabbed 65 times in her Minnesota apartment. <gasps> oh my God. 65 times. That's fucking horrific. The oh amount of energy that would take. Right? The victim, Jeannie Childs, was a wonderful person who had a big heart, said the mother after the verdict. Authorities used a discarded napkin in a hot dog container to connect a Minnesota man with the cold-blooded murder of a woman who was brutally stabbed in her home nearly 30 years ago. On June 13, 1993, property supervisor at the apartment building in Minneapolis entered the unit belonging to 35-year-old Jeannie Childs after a neighbor complained about a leak. Once inside the residence, they found the shower running and Jeannie dead from what would later be determined as 65 stab wounds to the chest, neck, arms, and other parts of her body. I would think that it would be that much all over because you would run out of space if it was centralized. Yeah. The attack on Jeannie was prolonged and occurred throughout the apartment, which she used for meetings with clients. Those were in quotation marks. So I don't know what that means. A bloody footprint was found near her body and genetic material from an unknown male was recovered in multiple places of evidence that included a towel, a washcloth, a comforter, and a t-shirt. It kind of sounds like there's probably a lot of DNA. Yeah. In 2019, one of the suspects, Jerry Westrom, attended a hockey game and ate a hot dog. Investigators observed the defendant wiping his mouth with a napkin that he had then placed. Okay, I get it now. I understand. This is they stole the napkin. I was about to say, they probably took the trash from said hot dog, Jessica. <laughs> it just sounded weird. I'm sorry. It's just the way they like wrote it. I was like, I don't get it. I don't understand the significance of eating. They could have not meaning to like come at you just investigation discovery, but you could have literally just written like they saw him eating in public. Took a napkin. Okay. During questioning, Jerry denied that he'd ever he was ever at Jeannie's apartment and claimed that he didn't know why he why his DNA would be found there. That's a really hard thing to explain away. Yeah. Be like, I don't I don't know who that is. And I don't know how my it's not like you can say, like, I don't know how my credit card got there. Someone could have stolen your credit card. Mm, your DNA is a little, little different. And it, the way they said, like, genetic DNA or genetic material is like, we all know what that is. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he was arrested in June of 2022. On August 25th, 2022, jurors convicted Jerry of the murder. So he is now going to, I think he's still waiting to be sentenced, but like, you know, 65 times. That's that's too much. 
No kidding. Oh, my God. I have three more. Bite marks left on the victim's body helped police identify suspect in 1994 cold case murder. She told us that someone had been taking pictures of her and hanging up when she answered the phone, said the mother of Sherry Hess. Well, that's got to be hard to be the mom. Saliva from bite marks that were left on a murdered California woman's body helped detectives identify and arrest a suspect accused of the fatal stabbing nearly three decades ago. On April 24, 1994, Ruth Friedman said that she and her husband drove from the San Fernando Valley Desert hot springs after their daughter Sherry sounded desperate in a trouble message she had left them. She told them that someone had been taking photos of her and hanging up when she answered the phone. She said it sounded terrifying. Ruth said that she had an ominous feeling, and when she and her husband arrived at Sherry's house and noticed the porch light was on and the family dog was outside and the Plymouth that should have been parked in the driveway was on the street instead. The Freedmans found their daughter dead in the living room of the unlocked two-bedroom apartment. She had been stabbed multiple times and bitten by her killer. According to the Riverside County District Attorney's Office, homicide investigators said evidence collected at the scene, including her attacker's blood, indicated that the 39-year-old attempted to fight back before she died. DNA testing on the killer's blood, as well as on the saliva from the bite mark that was left on the victim, determined the two came from one male. Desperate detectives' regular efforts to run DNA profiles through the combined DNA data index system, also known as CODIS, there was never a match and the case went cold. In February of 2022, however, the Riverside County Regional Cold Case Team used genetic genealogy to identify Sharon Gadlin, 48, as a person of interest in the case and subsequently learned that at the time of Sherry's murder, he was living in Thousand Palms, a town around 12 miles away from the crime scene. Investigators got a warrant to collect a sample of Gladlin's saliva and tests confirmed his DNA matched that of the forensic evidence collected from the crime scene. He was arrested on March 4th, 2022 during a traffic stop. Wow. Hmm. He has pled not guilty to first degree murder and is being held at the Robert Presley Detention Center in lieu of a $1 million bail. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Two more. A pair of serial killers were charged in the rape and murder of a cold case of two women in Florida. In 2020, Robert DuBose was exonerated after four decades of a wrongful imprisonment for the murder of Barbara Grams. Two years later, DNA evidence helped solve the case. Forty fucking years? On August 4th, 2022, a pair of serial killers, Amos Robertson, 58, and Auburn Scott, 57, were indicted for the 1983 murders and rapes of 19-year-old Barbara Grams and 41-year-old Linda Lanzen of Tampa. The Tampa's Conviction Review Unit discovered DNA evidence from Grams' rape kit that led to the 2020 exoneration of Robert DuBose, who had been wrongly convicted of murdering Grams. DuBose served 37 years behind bars for the crime he did not commit. And then Linda's murder was a longtime cold case. Hillsborough County State Attorney Andrew Warren announced the conclusive DNA evidence that linked Robertson and Scott, two men who were already serving time for an, another 1983 murder, to the murders of Graham and Lanzen. On July 10, 1983, 
Linda, a freelance photographer, left her apartment and never returned. Her body was discovered the next morning in a ditch in town and country area of Hillsborough County. She had been raped and shot multiple times. About five weeks later, Barbara was raped and beaten to death while walking (sighs) home from work. Her body was found bludgeoned in the parking lot of the dental office 10 blocks away from her home. That is crazy. That story has like so many layers to it because it's not just that, but it's also like the fact that someone else was serving time for it. I know. Okay, last one. And this one is a Sacramento one. Oh. Mm-hmm. Sacramento's oldest cold case has been solved thanks to advances in DNA. 28-year-old Nancy Bendelak was murdered on October, in October of 1970. Over 50 years later, police have identified her killer. Wow. Nancy was only 28 when she was murdered on October 26, 1970. Mm. She was working as a court reporter when she was brutally stabbed to death in the bedroom of her home in Sacramento, California. She'd been stabbed almost three dozen times and was nearly decapitated. Oh, Oh my God. Nancy was engaged in planning to get married the following month. Her devastated fiancé, family, and friends spent the next 52 years wondering what happened. The Sacramento Bee reported that the case was solved by investigators at the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department and the Sacramento County District Attorney's Office. They used DNA genealogy technology to identify Richard John Davis as her killer. Richard was living in the same apartment complex as the victim at the time of her murder. On the night of October 26, 1970, police believed that Richard put tape on his fingertips to avoid leaving fingerprints and then climbed up Nancy's balcony and entered her apartment. There were defensive wounds on her body that showed she tried to fight back. The fingertip trick did nothing to disguise Davis's blood, though. Mm. right he was apparently cut badly in the attack and perhaps while nancy fought for her life he left a trail of blood from her apartment to the middle of the parking lot in 2004 the dna profile was developed from the blood droplets left behind when the sacramento county cold case units started re-examining the case in 2019 they began doing a genealogical investigation during a press conference that was held at sacramento county sheriff's office retired detective mickey Links. I love the name Mickey Links. Sorry. (laughs) Mickey Links, who started working on the case back in 2005, announced that it had been solved. Links added that there won't be any form of legal justice, but hopes that it helps bring the family peace to know that the case has been solved. Richard died back in 1997 at the age of 54 from alcoholism, according to the Sacramento Bee, so no criminal charges were filed. Wow. I know, that's crazy, right? So there are the 13 solved cases from 2022 Mm -hmm. that were cold cases. Well, I'm glad those victims got justice. Me too. It's like, it's so hard these days. Like when you see these cases that are like decades old. Yeah. Because it's either like the counties themselves don't have the money to run it or there was, they didn't collect the DNA Mm -hmm. because they were like, I don't know what this is good for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off for today. We hope you enjoyed this and we will see you back here on Thursday for another episode. Bye. Bye guys.